Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Hi, this is Jason Rodenbeck. I'm here with my wife, Mangie, and we're so excited because we have a wonderful opportunity to talk to easily one of our favorite people in the whole world. Her name is Lily Jerskis. And Lily is a wonderful artist, friend of ours, who is just so talented, but also so thoughtful and just an amazing person. I will probably begin by saying that Miss Vangie knew her because Lily was a child in her children's ministry when, uh, goodness, when was that? When was that, Miss Vangie? Seems like it was just yesterday. Lily was three, so it's been a while. <laughs> that was a while ago. <laughs> Lily, even then, I think, showed a lot of signs of being just a really gifted person. Lily earned the full Jaeger scholarship and is a student at Marshall University and has studied abroad. She studied English literature at Cambridge and Oxford. And as I hear tell, uh, please forgive me if I'm wrong about this, but I think that's in England. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> yes. Um, those are very famous places over in England. Lily is somebody who has a way of expressing herself that I think is really unique. We know her parents and we've spent some time at their house. And the first time I went to Chip and Amy's house, the first thing I noticed was these wonderful images on the wall. Like all of the walls were covered with wonderful artwork. Uh, Most of the pieces were uh, what I would describe as sort of multimedia icons. Lily, what I was hoping you would do for us as an artist, and I think of you as a gifted artist, could you describe... Oh, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Could you describe your art and the approach you have to creating art? And maybe you could describe what it is that you think your mission is as an artist. Oh, well, um... I made a I made a piece of art for a, a good like family friend of ours a little while ago. I made him like a, a Stephen Sondheim icon, um, and he he made a Facebook post like, "Oh, I got this like piece of art from my friend," and he called me an iconist of all things important, um, and I just sort of loved that phrase uh, to to describe what I do. I make these sort of as you said like mixed media kind of plywood icons um it's like vinyl records for the halos and then it's a lot of uh like papers uh scrapbooking paper fabric various just things i've found and it's it's sort of all about like taking all of the stuff that exists in the world um and and trying to you know, narrow it down and use it in a meaningful way to create these sort of uh, like icons of various religious figures, but also like certain secular figures that I feel have been important. Um, It's just sort of a matter of like creating stuff out of other stuff. (laughs) Hmm. 
what when you say something that's in somebody that's done something important what is important to you uh i think a lot of it has to do with i do a lot of authors i do a lot of like poets basically i think that there's this sort of idea of you know people that i think have contributed towards conversations about like important questions and, and i think that when you when you look at like human history there have only been like a couple things that for like all of human history we've really been interested in i feel like we've been interested in like god and i think we've been interested in like death and you know like love and just like the the same couple of things have really like interested humans for like all of time and so I think that when somebody is really speaking to these like deep bone questions that we have mm. i think it's really cool to immortalize them in, in art <laughs> there's a lot there i want to follow up on uh god death and love are huge categories to sort of tackle the one of the first things i noticed about some of the icons that are just in your parents house the first time i was there i noticed that of course you start with plywood and you've used a lot of vinyl vinyl records as usually they're the halos around your uh, subject's head mm -hmm. but i've also noticed there's things yep. about your pieces that I, as I was looking at them, I thought, I just, I can't get enough of this. I, I'm, I've been waiting to meet you for a long time. Oh. Um, <laughs> there are pieces usually that there's almost always text. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by text is, and you've in the piece you did for us, let me just go ahead and say this. It's no secret. Anybody that's listened to anything or read anything we've done with Forging Plowshares knows that Miss Vanjie and I have an obsession with Wendell Berry. We asked Lily to create for us a Wendell Berry icon uh, six, seven, eight months ago. She did it, and it's on. It, it it's in a place of honor in our house. But it has text that you typed with, it looks like an antique typewriter, yep. from some of his poems and some of his essays. So there's usually text, but then I've noticed even elements of all kinds of different things. Some of your pieces, even in your parents' house, have broken mugs, broken glass, mm -hmm. coins, uh, what are the, the things that you like to use and why why is it uh, important for you to be able to use different types of media to express the things that you do? Well, I think that so much of it has to do with a sort of feeling of being simultaneously like overwhelmed, but also sort of delighting in just the bulk of, of, of stuff and of like physical objects um, kind of create and fill our, our daily lives in the world. Just, I mean, I think about sometimes just how many, you know, K-cups I, I interact with on a yearly basis when I'm brewing my coffee or, you know, like all of the broken glass that you see just when you're walking down the street or all of the cigarette butts or just like all of the, the, the coins and all of these little um 
like these microcosmic details of, of just like physical things that make up our daily lives. And, and I just think that so often it, it's a lot easier for us in a world that's like so focused on like consuming and consuming and consuming and like making and making an output and all of this that like, I think that we assume that all of these little physical artifacts that make up our lives are meaningless. Uh, and I think that actually what's a lot more interesting is if you assume that instead they're meaningful and that like all of the sort of garbage and all of the, the trash and all of the broken sort of ephemeral things that we're just going to forget about, that these things aren't just... Um, that these things aren't meaningless or shallow and they don't necessarily belong in like a landfill, um, but that they're actually saying like really, really serious and real things about sort of the, the spiritual place that we're in right now and kind of trying to take that and, and use it and repurpose it to something that is very like reverent. So much of what you said there about, about, the things that we use. Miss um, Vanjie and I have spent a lot of time thinking about the physical world that we live in and our throwaway culture. Uh, that's the thing about cake. We had a we had a coffee maker that used K cups, and we loved it for the convenience of it. But we suddenly realized we're throwing things away all the time. We just throw it away, and then. I look at some of the pieces that you've made, the art, and it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it is. You've made out of things that might be considered trash. Is there a word that you – there's a word that Vanjie and I are thinking, and I assume there's, there is there a word that you would use to describe mm-hmm. those little broken bits and pieces of our, of our lives. <laughs> Thank you. I, get, I don't mean to quiz you. I'm sorry if I feel like I'm quizzing you. Oh, no. How would you describe things like broken pieces of glass, K-cups, that kind of stuff? Is there is there a word that you would use to describe that? Um, I really, really like the word ephemera because I think that it sort of it harkens to the, the word like ephemeral and this sort of idea of like being sort of like fleeting and not necessarily like of this world kind of like a more sort of um, like a spiritual level. But the fact that, you know, I think that with these things that we leave behind, you kind of end up getting the silhouette of what we actually are and like what we really mean. Um, and, and I kind of, I love the word ephemera for it because it feels sort of like you're just catching the tail end of like a ghost as it's leaving the room um, and like finding things out about it based off of the, like the shape of things it's left. Um, so that's, that's the word that I really like. I don't know if that's your word, but that's the one that comes to mind for me. Uh, you know, I think we may be using two different words to kind of talk about the same thing. One of our favorite quotes is that um, there are no sacred places and unsacred places. There are only desecrated places. There's sacred places and desecrated places. There are places that have been made that Mm. have been desecrated. Um, And when I see the things that you collect Mm. to as special, as as important as, as picking out those little threads of life. Yeah. Um, you have a way of making them sacred. 
Yeah. Um, and not just it, on a religious icon, on, on secular icons. And it's, it's, it's almost humorous to me that, that the religious icon is even a part of it because I think you could have done it with anything. Yeah. And it's just a sacred way you have taken these things and gathered them all together <laughs> into something very meaningful uh, that points to something collective and completely different than they might have been otherwise. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's totally what I'm trying to sort of get at is this idea of, you know, like taking taking things that we wouldn't think about and like using those as a way of really like holding holding meaning and holding like important things one of the pieces at your parents house and i know that this may not communicate terribly well in a podcast but i feel like there are some pieces at your parents house and i and i feel like i i'm not exactly even sure which one of the icons it is but one of them has a piece of a broken coffee cup in it and as I'm looking at, I feel like it might be the Virgin Mary. I may be wrong about that, and if if I'm wrong, please correct me. No, I think that it. I think that it's the that's that's the first piece I ever made. <laughs> I, it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm looking at it, and I, as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, somebody drank coffee out of this. Yeah. That in itself is it's it's a thing that I do. I drink a little coffee every day. Miss Vanjie drinks a little more coffee every day. <laughs> And a lot of folks drink coffee every day, and it's just, it's probably one of the most, besides water, maybe the most popular beer, and maybe the most popular <laughs> drink in the world. And it's something that everybody does. And when I look at it, I realize that, that, that this is an object that is grounded in someone's reality. And here it is, it's broken down, but it's also being, it's, it's a part mm-hmm. of a picture of, uh, one of the most important people that's ever existed, at least in my faith. I always like to think um, at some point in time, there might have been some young woman <laughs> that registered for that China and she was so full of hope mm-hmm. and it was the beginning of her life and maybe she had it and she used it the whole time she was married. Maybe not. And who knows that it wound up in a thrift store or someplace else but at one point it was new and it represented hope and a new start. And then I, I look at Mary and I think about all the newness she encountered and all the hope she had to have and all those things she treasured up in her heart. The same way at one point that small object was at one point treasured up maybe in someone's heart. Um, that, it's a sacred thing. So there's a tying. When I look at some of the pieces you've done, I want to. I want you to. I'm going to ask you in a few minutes to describe some of the different pieces that that you've done that have meant something to you. But the pieces that I've seen you do, there, there's a humanness about them, a humanness and a, a earthiness about them that I feel like. Anybody that's lived ought to be able to look at it and go, yeah, I, I get, I get what she's saying here, even if they don't know exactly what was in your head or in your heart at the time. What I was hoping you you might answer for us, and and I know I I'm, we're saying a bunch of stuff and not asking you to respond to it, and that's not fair. But I was like, oh, this is such high praise. I mean, like I'm I'm very like humbled. Thank you. <laughs> 
could you tell us what experiences you had growing up? What has shaped the way that you look at things and what has shaped the, the work that you do? Uh, well, I think a lot of it has to do with um, growing up uh, just on, on a, on a base sort of aesthetic level um growing up my my dad had this uh like coffee house sort of uh campus ministry at emory university called bread coffee house and it was so great where you would like walk into this campus ministry one of the things that he did is have like every new student who would come through this place he had he would get like these bulk like old CDs and like old, I feel like they were like garbage, like like programming discs and like just old, like you buy them in bulk from like thrift stores or just like when they were being thrown away. And you would have um, like all of the different like college students who would like come by, draw on like the metallic back of the, uh, of the CD, draw all over it in Sharpie and like write their name. And then it would go on the walls. And eventually, like, the walls got, like, super filled up with the CDs. So he started buying, like, these ties from the thrift store and then, like, plastering the, like, CDs onto the ties and then hanging those from the ceilings, like, banners. And this sort of sense of, like, completely, like, overwhelming, like, clutter that is also, like, meaningful art. It's, like, representing the people mystery i feel like my whole life i've sort of been like trying to like capture the essence of like his thrift store mugs and the cds on the walls and the you know the stage that he built himself in the living room trying to kind of like capture that sort of like ramshackle uh like glory of all of that and i think that on an aesthetic level i'm always going back to these like sharp i remember the cds (laughs) there's a lot of life in that as you're describing that it's been it's i'm looking at vanjie and she's described uh chip's ministry and it's interesting to hear you start telling exactly the same picture the story of the same picture that she has told me and it, it, it seems like that's really shaped uh, the way you look at the world and the pieces that I've seen that you've done, they take bits and pieces from different places and they put it together to tell a story. And I feel like that's, that's really picked up. That's really picked up in some of your pieces that you've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's, uh, um, there's a, I think it's William Carlos Williams, and there's this quote about his poetry that there's like no ideas but in things, and and I sort of love that. Not just in terms of like you know using images in your poetry, which is of course like a good thing to do, but on sort of like a deeper level, it's really important for like these these things and like these objects and these experiences that like th- this is where we're going to like get our ideas, and this is what we're going to use to hold our ideas. The, the pieces that I've seen you do, and, and you uh, you work with a lot of different types, and we've kind of hit on this multimedia stuff, and some of it's just using pieces of what some people would call junk or trash, broken glass, broken mugs, old vinyl records, 
and plywood. And I'm, I love wood. I love working with wood. And one of the things I love about some of your, about your pieces is the way you use grains. Uh, you cut them and you use the grain and you color it differently. And all that's really important. I think that's a huge part of these different pieces that you do. Many, if not all the pieces that I've seen that you've done, and, and one of the things I hope to do with this is sort of partnered up with some pictures. Many, if not all of the pieces I've seen have had justice-oriented themes. And I can name some of my favorite ones. I don't want to be the one to name them. I want, I'd like to hear what your, some of your favorites are. Can you describe a few of your favorite pieces that you've created and, and some of the inspirations that you had for creating this? The ones that really sticks out to me with the thought of of justice is the first piece that I ever made that um that that Mary and Jesus that I made, and I actually made that piece over like I, I made it over a period of like forty eight hours, and I made that right when the Trump administration had done the the Muslim ban, and there was of the, the stuff going on with like Syrian refugees. Even now there's so much going on with, you know, like border walls and, you know, not loving and, and really being discriminatory to um, like immigrants and migrant workers. And this sort of idea of Mary and Jesus being refugees, the fact that it's really, really important that we are, are are viewing these people that like in a, in a modern context, we're viewing them with like hatred and, and that like those exact people are, that is God um, in a lot of ways. So that was a piece that I made that was very, very justice oriented. Um, and then in some of my more recent works, I'm always trying to be very, very conscious about biblical figures and making them ethnically realistic, not just doing the classic like blonde haired, blue eyed, whitewashed Jesus, particularly because I think that those ideas can be so, so, so harmful to, to people of color. And just trying to show all of the like diverse ways that faith takes and the fact that like Christianity and faith is not something that is strictly American and it's not something that is white American and that it is in fact something that can run counter to and even like challenge the very like consumeristic late capitalism ideas that we hold in America that like our faith should be challenging that rather than affirming that. So let's talk a little bit more about the the and I hope very much we can share with the folks that are listening to this a picture of it uh, of the the uh, I guess for lack of a better term the Madonna and child icon how does the Madonna and child uh, address issues like the Muslim ban and of course the the rate of the news stories now that feels like 12 years ago but it wasn't quite that long ago Right. And in fact, it's tied up with the detention of migrants at the border, children in cages. Mm -hmm. How does that affect you and the way you, you try to express yourself artistically? You know, I think that so much of it just has to do with the fact, I think that for so long, the way that a lot of religious art has worked has been in service to 
the people who have been in political or economic power. I went to Florence last summer and it was so amazing getting to see like all of these like amazing churches and these cathedrals and, and these places that were like very much commissioned by the Medici's and all of these like beautiful, beautiful works of art. It, but seeing, you know, like all of these depictions of Christ, who by all means is a figure that has, you know, been very anti-rich and, and seeing sort of like these images of Christ being used as a way of, of flaunting wealth and flaunting political and economic power. And the fact that I, that I don't think that this is necessarily the best way to be really like showing God's glory through work and, and through pieces of art and that like having art that uplifts, you know, the poor and the downtrodden and, you know, the refugees, because that's what I think you very much see from Jesus and, and not what I think you see from these very like tailored, you know, respecting the systems and the powers that be depictions of Christ that I think we see. Lily, I wish you could experience the glances that Vanjie and I are giving each other as you're saying that. My guess is you probably are familiar with those. So you're talking about going to Florence and seeing the way the Medici's co-opted the images of Christ, co-opted them in such a way as to help use those to express the values of the culture. And, and yet here we are in America— uh, so much of what passes for Christianity is just a baptism of cultural values. And in our culture, it's things like consumerism. And you've, you've hit on some of these things <laughs> very well. Consumerism. <laughs> How do things like artistic expression, creating a, an icon like the way you create it with plywood, plywood cuts and different media how can these things express worship of a god mm -hmm. who identifies with the poorest and and the oppressed who are uh, marginalized well i think that it's one of the things where i try to be really aware of making sure that the materials that I use and the materials that I have access to are informing my work. Like, I think that there's this idea, and, and when I majored in art, I majored in art for a brief period of time when I was at school, but then I, I dropped that major for a creative writing major instead, just because I felt like there is so much of this attitude when we're teaching art that art is it has to be really really expensive to produce and that like true art has to be you know like really really expensive to produce and even more expensive to buy and this idea of you know in, in order to be an artist you have to buy the like $50 oil paints and the $100 canvases and, and that like so much of this idea of being an artist and being a producer is also so tied into being a consumer and like creating art for this sort of like market that's more based upon social currency and just making money rather than actually producing work that is trying to be for people. I really, really believe that like art 
is a necessity for a lot of people. I think that having art in your home is something that is really, really important. And, and I think that we art like it's a luxury when really, really it's a necessity. And even for me, like the creation of art is a necessity for me. It's something that I feel like I need to do in order to sort of like stay sane and happy in the world. And in a world that says that in order to do that, you have to have a lot of money. I'm a college student. I get a, a kind of meager stipend at the beginning of the semester, and I have to make that last for the entire time to buy things like deodorant and toothpaste. But also for me, like plywood and wood glue. So I think that a lot of it has to do with making art that isn't necessarily tied into the social currency of expensive things, but just making art with the things that are at my disposal. And the fact that, you know, you don't have to be like a rich, privileged person in order to create art, that it's something that you can very much create within the means that you have. So we're speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a hard time processing what you've said. Let me sort of throw something at you that we've lamented about. Vanjie and I are both the kind of people that think of ourselves as writers. We're both able to articulate ourselves fairly clearly. I don't want to brag. I'm not going to try and say, you know, more artfully than someone else, but we feel like we're able to get ourselves across. and. For many years, I thought, well, I, I'd like to be a writer. Mm -hmm. And then you realize how hard it is, the, the, the kind of status-oriented world that writing is, and how hard it is to break into that, and how important literature is in our lives. The way you described the investment mm -hmm. that goes into being a recognized artist there's something about that that speaks to the way our culture works. Banji, help me finish this thought. I Having been inside mm -hmm. publishing, even Christian publishing, and worked in it, yeah, and and written for it, and and been a part of writing projects where they ask you to pour your soul on a page, and and quite honestly, a. a very specifically, part of a project that asked special needs moms to pour their soul on a page so that it could be a memoir book for other special needs mothers. And of course, because this was a Christian publishing company, they asked us to donate this work, all of these mothers, ask us to write about different parts of our journey. Some of these women were writing about losing a special needs child very young. Mm -hmm. Some of them were talking about raising an aging special needs child. These women were talking about very difficult parts of motherhood. And um, we received a, no one was expecting, we weren't going to get any royalties for it. It was just for the sake of the art, of getting the message out there, mm -hmm. for doing something important. Mm -hmm. We received a message that uh, was about to go into print when a rival publisher um, bought it from that publisher mm -hmm. with the complete intention to to shelve it because it was going to be a competing product. And all those had poured all that out on the page for nothing and been through that. Um, Relived some very painful things. Um, and there's no mm -hmm. room for anything but the consumeristic model 
unless you scrap for it and make the mm-hmm. room and do the self-publishing and are willing to be kind of the prophet standing on the corner saying there is there is another way and be prophetic about what you're doing mm. and why you're doing it and let people know I'm doing this differently and I'm doing it differently because <laughs> for oh. a reason, very specifically. And I think that's really important about your work. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I knew that I was going to be impressed <laughs> when we sat down. I didn't realize I was going to be speechless. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I've seen some of the pieces mm-hmm. you've created, I can only speak from the person mm-hmm. of, from the perspective of someone who's viewing yeah. it or someone who's receiving it. I feel like there's a worship involved. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Looking at a piece that someone has put themselves into and expressed something. <laughs> and we're talking about things like icons. And your icons have, have, have been biblical characters. They've been some of the classic saints from from church history some of them have been contemporary or or recent artists or writers like you did our our wendell berry Um, one of my favorite pieces you've done and and i i mean this wholeheartedly you did fred rogers uh recently and you you uh auctioned that piece off Mm -hmm. I feel like when I'm looking at these pieces, and there was one, re- there was one a few, a few years. There's James Baldwin. There was one a few years ago that was looked like a giant devil, <laughs> and yep. it had something to do with guns. Oh, Can yeah. you describe, describe that piece for us? Yep. Um. So that piece was really. That's like probably the angriest piece I've ever made. It was angry. I loved it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I really I mean I'm very much proud of that piece. I've always just adored the work of um the folk artist Howard Finster and and sort of my dream is to have my own like paradise garden where I just become like a crazy recluse in the woods and then I die and then people come to my house and there's like it's filled with like religious art. Like that's my goal. That's my like long-term goals. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was very much inspired by uh, by Finster. He has these these paintings that are like American devils, um, and so I created this piece that was trying to really, really evoke that like folk outsider art style of these of, of basically a giant devil with a gun um, called American Good Guys. Um, because it's okay if like a good guy has a gun, right? And so it's it's one. It's the most sort of like outwardly political pieces I've made where it's like a giant devil and then I've uh, I painted on like all across his coat and his arms and legs um like the names of politicians who have accepted money from the NRA. And I made that kind of like right after the um I'd done like an extensive research project for my history class about gun control, like the rise of mass shootings, and it was right after the synagogue shooting that happened. And there was a shooting that was in California that my brother very, very narrowly missed and at a bar in California and sort of like all of those feelings of um sort of like righteous indignation about the fact that we're not doing anything about this obvious gun problem that we have sort of got got funneled into this this piece. 
you you described it as angry, and I am a, a very angry person. <laughs> There's there, there isn't. I am. Uh, you're laughing, but it's true. place. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like, and, and you're obviously a Christian. You're obviously at least your Christian faith has so much influenced the things that you write and, and the things that you create. Can you describe the prophetic role of art mm-hmm. uh, as you understand it? Because anger is a huge part. And, and I'll just throw this out there and, 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 and fiddle with it if you like. Um, but so much of the minor prophets I, I love. Of course, I love Jeremiah and Isaiah and all those guys. But the minor prophets, they're just these mm-hmm. little guys that, that they were just doing their thing. Who knew if they were ever going to be heard? I, I, I identify with them so much. And and there's so much anger about injustice and, and things like uh, injustice and violence and all of that. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself creating prophetic pieces mm-hmm. or speaking prophetically? And is it possible for, for your art to be prophetic and peaceful? Um, You know, I, I, something that especially see in like in the creative writing world and sort of in, in, in when writing poetry, I find there's this degree of, you know, you you want to make sure that you don't have too much control over the work itself. And, and the idea that what you start writing, that, that you can't have so much control, you can't be like holding on so tightly to your artistic or poetic vision that then the people becomes very very rigid and closed in and so I think that I think that you can start a piece in a way that you know you have the intention or you're feeling one way when you begin it and then sort of by the end you can find that it's come to a completely different conclusion and and I guess that what I mean by that is that you know when I, when I started this this American devil piece it it came so much just out of you know, like my anger and my frustration over the fact that we're not getting anywhere with, you know, gun control and and that we're not doing anything about just all of this violence and that all of these like children and these people of faith and these people of color, that they're all like that they're getting killed by this work that we're, we're not moving forward on in any way. And so this piece started so much with this this anger and this frustration. And I find that rather than holding on so tightly to the idea that, oh, this is going to be an angry piece of art, that, you know, I I let the piece take me where I feel like it needed to go. And by the end of it, I felt like I I reached some sort of sense of like absolution and that I I had gotten through the course of making that piece to a part where like, I was a lot more willing to to make peace with this idea and and sort of hoping that I think that all you can really do as a creator is, you know, start producing the piece and then let the piece sort of become what it wants to be. 
and then sort of give it out into the world and let the world decide what it's going to make of it. Because I think that, you know, when you're creating, especially work of visual art, you have what your intention for it as a creator is. And that's only like one half of the equation. The other half of the equation is, you know, whatever the person looking at it is going to see and what they're going to get out of it. But if anything, like that is kind of how like the prophetic nature of the work can work is this sort of dialogue between the creator and then like capital C creator and then the viewer and all of these things sort of like working together. You know, you've given me a lot to think about. Epistemologically, I, I spent a great deal of time uh, teaching interpretation of texts and trying to take a very classically conservative approach that suggests that it's the it's the writer that gives text the meaning. And I do believe that to, to abandon the idea that it's the writer that gives a text the meaning is uh, to sort of throw oneself mm-hmm. into a quagmire of subjectivity. And yet there isn't any doubting that the the person that that reads the text yeah also brings something to the text i'm gonna throw something at you and tell me what you think of it but when when i read the creation narrative in genesis and i'm mm-hmm. just really wanting to know what your your theological perspective is on this when when god creates and he he instructs the the human that he creates to name the creation i see there a a co-creative process that on the one hand god is god has created things but that those things aren't in and of themselves finished but they are they're completed by the the people that that view them that participate in them Mm -hmm. I'm not yeah. sure I have a, a, a conclusion to this other than to say something you said there made me think that maybe it's that the writer creates meaning and the, the reader creates meaning. The artist creates meaning yeah. and the viewer creates meaning. It, it, am, am I misunderstanding what you're saying or am I going a different direction? What do you no, think? I think that that's very much what I'm, what I'm talking about where I think that um, – I don't know if Derrida uses these exact words, but, you know, I, I'm obsessed with, like, the inherent, like, gappiness of meaning and the fact that as a creator, inevitably you're going to be creating this work where there are, like, all of these sort of holes and there are these levels of of, of uncertainty and these, like, points in whatever you're making where you don't have control over what the viewer is going to say and that it's sort of in these gaps that that people rush in and we record it sort of it, it really is like a co-creation of the art and, and that's one of the reasons why in my art I try to do I do a lot with um, paper cut and working a lot in negative spaces where I feel when when you have these negative spaces you have this opportunity for the viewer to find what's there based off of what's not there or sort of like vice versa and and i think that this is sort of on a symbolic level showing just the way that you know it, everything that we're doing and everything that we create is ultimately an act of of 
co-creation and co-definition. Lily, I so rarely get to see him speechless that I'm really enjoying every moment of this. I need you to know that and think about that when you lay your head on the pillow tonight. Really enjoying how, All right, we'll do. how you've thrown Jason. It's making me so happy. It brings me such joy. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're striking chords, I think, that on some levels we've we've really tried to, uh, we've concluded, but also you're striking chords that I feel like I have just been scratching the surface of in such a way that I, I don't know sometimes how to respond to the way you're saying it. I, I would like to continue. I wish we were closer <laughs> because I would like to continue hearing more uh, of of what you're <laughs> what you're describing here. That I would love to walk through a thrift store with Lily. <laughs> I love antiquing. We should go antiquing when it's like safe and socially responsible to do that. <laughs> we that's our thing. For a long time, we would go antiquing and go to an antique store and find some old piece of crap somewhere that nobody wanted that somebody's got five dollars on and go oh we can make a lamp out of this <laughs> yeah right oh man the number of things that i've turned into lamps it's crazy it really is we make lamps <laughs> nobody wants it. and yet <laughs> we've got so all over the place <laughs> I kind of like regret the day that I figured out that I could make lamps because like lamps are like my favorite thing in the world and it's so easy you just like buy a lamp kit and then it's like just a little bit of wiring and maybe some like drilling holes and then like boom infinite lamps whenever I want them I'm, like drunk I know power. Right. <laughs> I made a lamp I built a lamp out of like this old I don't know it's like this green it, it's from something from like an old gas station or something and I had it on my wall, and I, I found this little gas sign that said leaded fuel. Like, when's the last time anybody bought leaded fuel? And so I made it. <laughs> Everybody would come to my office and be like, oh, I love that. I'd be like, it's for sale. Well, it cost me like $100 to make, and nobody wants to buy it. So I just redid it. Yeah. And I, I, made, I added a gas can to it, and it just looks amazing. Nobody's going to buy it, so it's in my office. I love it. Anyway, I feel like we have so much in common. I, I'm so grateful that you said that with us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really excited to be uh, like talking with you, for sure. <laughs> is, there, is there a place that people can go to look at your creations? Um, it's mostly on either my, my Facebook or my Instagram, um, which is everyone's favorite artsy gal with uh, underscores in between each word. Um, it's occurred to me that maybe like now that people are like paying attention to my art, I should maybe like make it a more professional Instagram handle. But also, you know, I am everyone's favorite artsy gal. So I'm going to keep it the way it is. <laughs> 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 You're ours. You're unquestionably favorite artsy gal. I wouldn't change the moniker. Um, we're gonna. Uh, what I was hoping that we could do is um, share some pictures. We're gonna. We're gonna post this as a as a podcast, but also yeah, include in it a link to some pictures 
Um, is it possible that I'm happy to go through your <laughs> Facebook because I, I watch it a lot and try to find some pictures. And stuff. Could you send me some pictures that we could sort of put together in a little video or a gallery that uh, of some of your some of the pieces that have? Um, <laughs> I mean, people it's, are fans that, of yours. That- Freaks me um, out thinking about like people looking at my <laughs> art online and being like, "Wow, I want that!" I'm like, "Whoa, what? That's crazy! I'm making this for me." Um, it's it's crazy that other people want it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm making a um t- tonight. Actually, probably once I'm done with this, I'm planning on making a. Uh, I've already drawn it out. My favorite poet is Gerard Manley Hopkins, so I'm making that piece uh, tonight. So I'll, I'll send you some progress shots of that as I'm making it. Yeah. That will be wonderful, Lily. We feel we are so grateful that you've taken time to talk to us, and we are grateful. The folks, the Plowshares folks that have, are are part of this community. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to share you with them. Thank you so much for taking uh, an hour of your time to talk to us. Thank you for the work that you do. And we're also very grateful for your parents because um, we feel like you have had some very unique experiences that have uh, shaped you in a way that a lot of folks don't get don't get that shaping. You just seem like a, an exceptional person. Thanks so much to Lily Jerskis. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.